Welcome everyone to the second episode of Study Hall. I'm Trevor Denton with Jordan Hunter, Daniel Halpern, and Jimmy Goodman. We hosted a sports talk show in college that no one watched. Now we're hosting a podcast that no one will listen to. Guys, U.S. football canceled yesterday on Thanksgiving of all time of all times. Uh, what are you guys? Uh, what are you guys' initial thoughts? Initial emotions upon hearing that news? We'll start with you, Jimmy. Well. You know, coming into the season, you have two main directives if you're USC football, two goals. Um, don't get corona and don't get corona, um, with 2B kind of being, you know, maybe take the Pac-12 South because everyone's terrible. Yeah, nah, nah. Uh, and they failed one and two and still working on 2B. Uh, it's really disappointing and basically, I think, all but takes USC out of the running for the college football playoff this year. They just won't get enough games in even with the Corona delays and you still don't know what's going to happen with Oregon. And even if they would beat Oregon in a Pac-12 championship, there's too many, too many barriers between this team and the CFP to, to make a reasonable case for the team this year. So I would say that that was kind of like the, the final nail in the coffin on the hopes of a, a prominent postseason for the Trojans. Jump in, Dan. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I think that the chances of USC making the playoffs are slimmer than Trevor going home with a lady after a beta wine Wednesday. I mean, at this point, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a pretty high success rate. I feel like at the wine Wednesday, <laughs> oh, Trevor, you and I <laughs> both know that's, that's bread and butter for everyone. Everyone knows the wine Wednesday is where you, you know, you make your mark. Bro, Trevor's not everyone. <laughs> well, all I'm saying is I think USC was maybe starting to hit their stride uh, after last game. I think the defense, they came away with a bunch of turnovers, even though they were allowing a little bit more of the, the here and there stuff. But in the end, they were getting the turnovers that they needed. The offense was looking half decent. And it, it, it's really sad that they're not going to get this opportunity now. I, they don't have the games, especially if they, I, they miss out on another game even. Then at that point, it's, are they even going to be bowl eligible anymore? I'm not sure exactly what the, the standards are, but – I know, like, Wisconsin, they're out of eligibility for the college football playoff. Uh, they're not going to have enough games played now. I'm not sure exactly what that limit is, but uh, I would be interested to see if USC misses another game if they're not at that point also. But I can't really see the, the committee giving a, a team with only six games, including the Pac-12 championship, uh, a shot at the playoff. I, I'm, I'm upset, obviously, as Jimmy was saying, that, that people – that Corona, the coronavirus did hit USC because earlier in the week, it was showing that like USC was the one team that wasn't plagued by it. And then obviously they, you know, they players that got it and they thought the game could still be played and then more players got it and had to isolate. But as we saw again in the last game, USC looks pretty good. And I was just really hoping to see them continue that into this game against Colorado we beat Colorado all the time, so it shouldn't have been hard, but just it would have just given me a little more confidence to see USC play another complete game after the first two games against Arizona schools where, you know, they, they couldn't play four quarters of football. So it's unfortunate, but I do think their next game, if they can stay hungry, they can go and I think win that one too. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the playoff chances, chances were kind of already eliminated earlier this week on Tuesday with the college football playoff rankings. Once Oregon came in at 15th, I feel like that sort of was the committee's way of saying, yeah, you don't have a shot um, at, at getting into the playoff, Tell, basically telling the entire Pac-12 conference just basically that there's not enough games, not enough time 
um, to catch up. So I don't think that this game really impacts their playoff chances. I think it has been, I, I think this season just now is all about just getting to a Rose bowl. And can you win a Pac-12 title? Can you get in enough games? Uh, can you get to the Pac-12 title without another outbreak and then play for a Rose bowl? I, I don't think the playoff was ever really uh, in the picture with, with the way that the first rankings came out. I don't know. I, I agree. And in, in perfect 2020 fashion, of course, the, uh, the Rose bowl, would not be the automatic qualifier for the Pac-12 this oh, year. As yeah, it is a, yeah, it's a college football playoff. It's a Fiesta game. semifinal. Bowl, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it would, it would probably be the Fiesta Bowl, which would be just the perfect 2020 edition of winning the Pac-12. I was speaking metaphorically, the metaphorical Rose Bowl, you know? <laughs> yeah. Metaphorical, kind of like, uh, you know, all the girls that Daniel Halpern talked to from freshman year to sophomore year. Recent run of success in junior year. But here's what I'll say, you know, USC, uh, you know, this game, very important. Really the first real game. I feel like all the other teams they faced, it was their first game of the season. Um, all of their, their team, I believe those teams are combined like 0-3, 0-4, whatever it is in, in their games. Arizona, Arizona State, Utah haven't won a game. Um, but this was the one that really counted. Colorado was a surprising team with a new coach this year. This, this was really a chance for USC to showcase themselves on a national level um, and also get a pivotal win. They would pretty much control the Pac-12 South but it's canceled. And I feel like it's a lot like me, you know, I think you got it all wrong, Daniel. I think them beating Utah was like a lot like me on beta wine Wednesday, low pressure situation, the type of environment that I thrive in. I think invite was like Colorado where they didn't even make it to the game. I think that was me at invite a lot more pressure, a lot more alcohol early on, a lot more rounds of pregame. I could never even really make it to the IHOP, you know, without having to be sent home. And, you know, I feel like that's what this Colorado what game is IHOP like for they would always, Jimmy, you know what I'm talking about. The invites, they'd always go get dinner at IHOP because it's cheap. <laughs> yep. We would always get dinner at IHOP, and I would never even make it to the final. I would never make it to the final dance. So that's what I feel like. Beta Wine Wednesday, that was the Utah game. Um, no pressure. You got a, a new quarterback. You're, you're laid back. You're relaxed. You're not expecting anything. That's the situation I thrive. Invite was the Colorado game for sure. What what kind of game would you call a 9-0 Wednesday? I know Dan doesn't know about that yet, but. Oh, man, I feel like that's classic Pac-12 after dark. Just a magical feeling in the air. Anything can happen. Everyone's a little – it's an alternate dimension almost. You're not even sure if what you're witnessing is real. Thoughts, Jimmy? I feel like if anyone's going to talk about 9-0 Wednesday and its comparison to football, it's got to be it's got to be Barstool Man over there. There's also, uh, you know, like a serious morning after review to a, to a Pac-12 after dark game. You know what I mean? Uh, especially, you know, I, I grew up on the East Coast and all my friends, they're, they're probably in bed by the time I even a, a, arrive at the 9-0. Uh, yeah. And that's just what it's like, you know, watching those games on TV. People are like, oh, God, there's still, USC still has to play Washington State tonight? God, Jesus, this is entirely too much. But, you know, you go into that game, you completely black out. Like, no one, and no one holds that against you until about 12 hours later. You know what I mean? Yeah, you say, God, Jesus, why is this happening? And he rewards you with, like, one of the best sloppiest games of all time. I feel like one of my friends that went to uh, went to Alabama was saying, you know, he loves Pac-12 after dark because he would go out to the bars. And it's just, just like, comforting looking up and seeing a football game uh, still on. It's comforting knowing there are people out there still being sober, still doing athletic things while you're out there being a degenerate. I don't know. There's something, there's something beautiful about it. There's something beautiful about it. Daniel is far too young to even have this discussion. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets put on parole just for being, he, this is basically like a, uh, 
minor in possession right now because he's 12 years old just talking about it. <laughs> so, well, um, one thing that I definitely can talk about is CU football. Uh, born and raised in Colorado. And this is my one game a year that I really enjoy because I can talk to all the guys back home and get a little trash talk in and say, yeah, oh, this year, I, it's just another easy win. This is going to be the uh, 15th meeting between USC and CU uh, in football. It was going to be the 15th W for USC football. And this year, was it was a little bit different than years past. In years past, it's been a pretty much a, a foregone conclusion, uh, at least since uh, uh, CU joined the Pac-12. Versus this year, CU started off the year pretty hot. Uh, you know, it's not against the, the best teams. However, uh, their, their quarterback was playing well. And just th- things were clicking for them. And they were coming out of nowhere. And teams were starting to talk about it. And I, I think that this is just another one of those wins that a, an up-and-coming team like CU would have been nice on USC's resume. Uh, especially if it was a more dominant win like they had over Utah. Yeah, and I feel like uh, beating Colorado at this point, you know, for Clay Helton, it's kind of like when he had that ridiculous, like, Coliseum winning streak. He was, like, 19-0 at the Coliseum somehow. Um, This Colorado streak is, like, one of the last things that he really has, one of the last things he's clinging on to. And a loss to Colorado would have really, really been devastating, especially if they were to lose a few players to the COVID outbreak. So I'm sure that somewhere Clay Helton's a little uh, relieved because you're right, this Colorado team was dangerous. But USC – uh, they did t- seem to take somewhat of a step forward. I saw a lot of you guys tweeting about it, you j- tweeting about it, Jimmy, Daniel, um, whatnot. You guys weren't too impressed by the game against Utah, but they did take some concrete steps forward. No, did you see some signs of improvement in that that led you to believe that uh, it could be a good result in the Colorado game? Yeah, I mean, I just think the fact that the defense was finding the ball and uh, the ball was coming out of Keaton Slovis's hand a little bit better than it had in the first two weeks. Uh, gave a little bit of hope and just not needing last minute heroics. It was a, a game through and through. Yeah, it wasn't pretty the entire time. There was also turnovers by by us, but uh, there was definitely more to look forward to than really anything from the first two games aside for maybe the last drive of them. I agree. And and while, you know, I think the final score was something like 31-19, correct? Uh, 33-17. Something, yeah, something along those lines. Uh, it, it wasn't the most imposing win on the scoreboard, but it was in practice. Um, exactly. And and I'm, I'm totally with Daniel about the defense finding the ball, and that doesn't necessarily just mean turnovers. Uh, I think I was pretty impressed with, like, their just general energy and, like, ability to swarm to the ball, uh, both in the air and on the ground. Uh, you love to see – you know, whenever you get a game where Elijah Griffin is doing reprehensible things after the play <laughs> – uh, you know that the team's in a good state of mind. Um, I'm always so impressed by how he toes a line of, you know, 15-yard <laughs> penalties and uh, completely memeing himself. What did he do um, with the ball? What was he doing? I couldn't quite make out what he, he was like doing. He held it over his head and did a weird whole-body gyration thing. It was, uh, it was pretty interesting to watch. Hopefully – uh, there's a video out there that's a little bit longer than the one that was on the broadcast because it was a good video. I feel like you know, you know it's art when you're asking questions like, what does it mean, man? You know, like it, it wasn't obvious to the eye. <laughs> it wasn't a simple like bonfire over the ball. It wasn't anything we've seen before. It was uh, it was provocative. It was interpretive. It was, it was quite, quite amazing. You'd love to see that. I'm, you know, in, in the fewest words possible, we got the people going. Uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't put it past Clay to be cooking up schemes like this or at least encouraging it from his players to, you know, kind of change the conversation, you know. They do it. We're talking about it. 
Yeah, I was uh, I was impressed by the defense as well. I, you know, they got some guys on that defense, man. I, it's just never been an issue with the players. I mean, we hash this time and time again. But you look over, um, you get, you know, the, the two safeties, Isaiah Palomau, uh, Marlon. I mean, there's some dudes on that defense, and it's fun to watch them playing. They, they seem a little less confused on the field than they were last year. I think the simplification of Todd Orlando's system uh, is really helping. They've been in the backfield a lot. Uh, that play that Isaiah Palomau made against uh, Arizona State comes to mind. I know we didn't talk about that the other week, but, you know, where it's a reverse and he gets the tackle for loss like 10 yards in the backfield, I think that would have been a 20-yard gain last year. They had no ability to contain the edge, no ability to, to uh, comprehend what a reverse was. I think offensively um, still, and, and they admitted this after the game, it was not a complete performance offensively, but the most frustrating thing for me is you, could, you just can't be settling for that many field goals. You can't make Parker Lewis um, put the team on his back because you'll get to a point in a game where you're settling for field goals so often. And then you're putting a freshman out there with the game on the line with a 41 yard field goal. And if he misses that, you just can't blame him. You need to score touchdowns when you're down there in the red zone. That's the difference between a mediocre PAC 12 team and a solid team and a good team is teams that can convert uh, and make it into seven, six points when they get that. So that was a little frustrating just to cap this up, you know, USC in honor of their first win in Salt Lake city since 2012. What were you guys all doing in 2012? Daniel, we don't need to hear about first grade, but the rest of you guys, what were you guys up to in, uh, in 2012? Eight Jordan? years ago? Yeah, 2012. 14, so I think I was – wait, was I 14? No. Hey, man, that's for you to answer, man. Oh, we'll I, come I, back I was, to I was, I was graduating middle school. I was, I was, I was a freshman in, in high school, actually, going through those, the awkward phase. Very, I was very short, very, very short. Really? Really? Yeah. You had a little growth spurt? I had school? a little Anthony Davis-type growth spurt in high school, yeah. Dude, you remind me of Anthony Davis in so many ways, even just beyond that, man. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't either, man. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there, man. You're very Anthony Davis-esque, bro. <laughs> Dude, you want a ring. That's a good thing. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take the ring, yeah. All right. Jimmy, what were you doing in 2012? Uh, I mean, but besides, you know, battening down the hatches on the whole Mayan calendar thing, they only missed it by a couple <laughs> years. I, I think they were just eight years early on that. Um I was like, I think that the like target date was like May or something like that, but I was full year. I wasn't going to let my guard down until 2012 ended. Uh, But 2020, I guess, has been that year. Um, I don't know. You know, the the Ravens won a Super Bowl uh, in Ray Lewis's last run. It was beautiful. Uh, It was truly splendiferous, if you will. Uh, Joe Flacco had the greatest playoff run of all time by a quarterback. What did you say? Splendiferous? Yeah, it was splendiferous. Um, of course, you know, today's Ravens are, are in a bit of a different state than, uh, than those 2012 magical Ravens, but I, I still have those fond memories to look back to. Dude, you just made that into a perfect segue, the Ravens. Let's go ahead and talk about the Ravens because they're kind of the other team right now. We got, you know, USC, the entire Pac-12 really dealing with COVID cancellations over in college football and then over in the NFL. You have whatever's going on with the Steelers and Ravens. I kind of find out about it, you know, my projected – I have Lamar Jackson in fantasy – my projected points went down by like 18 real quick overnight. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Saw that he was listed as questionable for the game with the old COVID. And now apparently the game's been moving to Tuesday. The Steelers seem like they were kind of complaining about it. Um, what do you make about this? Because this seems to be a hot button issue uh, with, with football today. I mean, we've seen Dabo Sweeney say that Florida State was ducking them. It's like, bro, we're in a pandemic. I don't think Dabo understands. Dabo, by the way, the most tone deaf person since Ellen Keller, bro. The most oh my god this man this man this man was talking about how athletes shouldn't be paid he signed like an 85 million dollar extension the next day bro 
to the next day. The most tone deaf man ever. Now he's talking about um, Florida State being scared. It's like, bro, we're in a pandemic. Anyways, thoughts on the thoughts on the Steelers Ravens situation. Just a quick. I mean, did, I was gonna say, didn't the Steelers have their own little outbreak earlier in the season? No, they were always the they were uh, I guess screwed over by the Titans. Oh, they, okay, they, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. They just had to go along with all that. I, I mean, at, at this point, it's it does it. I knew Sunday wasn't going to be a thing just because of how many players we're gonna we're gonna keep getting. And then once you have one guy from from a position group, you have to kind of look at the whole position group and isolate them and make sure that they don't have because they're all in such close proximity. So I don't even know. I, Tuesday, I think, is, is very hopeful because they can't get into the facilities until Monday. And even if they do somehow play Tuesday, I think it's going to be an ugly game for the Ravens. Well, now it's I mean, pushed back. The next – there was a – I forget which team it was, if it was the Steelers or the Ravens. Jimmy, I'm sure you'd know this. But they played next Thursday, and now that game needs to be pushed back, which means there's no Thursday night football this week. Uh, which is just kind of a, a nightmare for the NFL. I mean, you lose out on one of your primetime games. That's more money that you don't get. Uh, I, I thought that the most interesting part of it was that the Steelers players, and this could just be because coming from me, someone who's never played professional football, obviously, uh, I just don't understand it. But I would think that some of these Steelers players, assuming that they could play on Monday and now Tuesday, what's the or even Sunday sorry Sunday or Tuesday what's the issue of getting to spend your your Thanksgiving with your family I thought that it would be like almost like a this is a a nice thing that we can yeah we weren't planning on having Thanksgiving and a lot of the players were angry and I understand that uh, I, I think Adam Schefter put out the tweet saying if there's a forfeit due to COVID it's not really just one team loses and one team wins. There's no game checks collected for that week. So everyone collectively loses by not making uh, th- that game check. And so I-, I see from that point of view, but when they thought that they were still going to be able to play the game Sunday, what's the, and it really gives you more time to prepare in that case also, because you don't have the outbreak on your team it gives you more time to practice. The other team is the one who's uh, you know not getting the benefit of that. So it was a little confusing for me why they were so, against it in the first place i don't know if you guys have any ideas about that yeah, well i can i i can come in with some just just some cold hard facts actually for you on this so so first of all everyone knows that with the great exception of juju smith schuster every single player on the in the team organization front office staff of the pittsburgh Steelers is a fundamentally broken and terrible human being um so <laughs> jimmy may be a ravens fan for uh, everyone out there listening that doesn't know that Dude, the that's, Columbia Journalism School just bringing the bringing the cold hard facts tonight. Yeah, that seems like a pretty uh, unrelated fact from Daniel, but sure, if if, if it means something to the listeners listeners out there, go for it. Anyway, uh, they're just terrible people, so of course they hate nothing more than to spend you know Thanksgiving with their families. Uh, but you know, there's just like a lot of immaturity that's gone on in that franchise for quite a long time, and in their fan base, they're very jaded, very much live in the you know victim complex of their own minds whether it's you know the history of antonio brown or Le'Veon bell everyone's always out to get the steelers for some reason right it's western pennsylvania it's crazy country out there but my thinking is that first of all playing a game even on tuesday is a wildly irresponsible thing to do i personally doubt that there is going to be enough of a containment and slowdown and positive tests on the ravens team to like ensure even the Steelers players that they take the field 
that they are going to be as safe or safer than they would be against any other team. Um, because this, this thing is kind of spiraled out of control in Baltimore. The question of whether or not they should forfeit the game or get it postponed is a question of, you know, certainly it's a question of bias, but I think it's also a question of respecting precedent. Because if you look at the Titans game, the Titans and their COVID outbreak forced the Ravens game to get moved to this week for those who didn't know. Uh, and it would just not make truly much sense for most other teams to have postponements uh, or like complete moving of games across multiple weeks. Uh, and then the Ravens be hit with a, a forfeiture at the crux of their season. Uh, and that might be a personal take. Um, I don't see it as like a huge thing. I mean, the general, you know, mass NFL population was probably not happy that Ravens Steelers wasn't played on Thanksgiving because it was a pretty paltry, oh, yeah. uh, a feast of NFL games. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the Cowboys game, you are right. Was, was moved from Thursday night to Sunday, which is great for everyone else. Cause I hate Thursday night football. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, I, I like Thanksgiving football, but Thursday night football is, is just absolutely God awful. But I think the bigger question at hand here is, is what this does to the Ravens season, because even when Lamar comes back, who knows what kind of health he's going to be at, who knows even when he is going to come back, if he comes back, how that even works. And yeah. just the Ravens season that looks like, you know, it could be at least one of the two best teams in the AFC. They very well might not make the playoffs. Yeah, uh, big well, for them. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Jordan. No, wow. I, I, that would be – if the Ravens don't make the playoffs, like, this was supposed to be – like, I know COVID and all that, but this is supposed to be the year that they really – because of what happened last year with the Titans, this is supposed to be the year they really proved that they're, that they're meant to be and they're in that top upper echelon of AFC teams and of teams in the league. So if they somehow go to not making the playoffs at all, that would be and, – and, and if the Browns do – well, so here I want to pose this question. I want to pose this question to you, Jordan, because I know in the past when we've talked about the expansion of the playoff to seven teams, you were a big fan of it. Well, at this point, they might open it up to the eight-team playoffs now because that was one of the contingencies they had. So, oh, giving that extra playoff game, what's your opinion on that? And then open it up to the other guys also. I think that would be. I think this year specifically, it's good because teams aren't really getting all their games and this the season's been so wonky so I, and there's also if you look at how the conferences are there's a lot of competitive teams at least on the AFC if you I think there would be some teams that would get left out that have been playing some really good football um and I think this this year if any year is the year to go to eight just because um there's really hasn't been any any like there's been a lot of stoppages. There's been teams not being in their facilities. There's been teams canceling games or postpone, having to postpone games. So I think to really see the, who the best teams are in each conference, you need to expand it to one extra team. Yeah. Do you do it in both? Do you do it in both divisions? Oh yeah. You have, you have I mean? to do it in both divisions if you're going to do it. Yeah. Well, no, here's, here's my issue with that though, is like, there's no guarantee that we're not going to then, if you expand it more, that's, isn't that just further room for error and further room for more games to get postponed in the playoffs? That's what I would be worried about is you expand the playoffs. You have more COVID outbreaks. Then you're well, there has to be a bubble. More, more... There has to be a bubble for for the playoffs. I think at this point they, they know that that's their only you chance. You hate to having. lose a playoff game. You would hate for anything to happen there where you have to get disqualified from a playoff game. That that would be that would be my worry about expanding it. You know, if anything, it's just I don't know, opening more more cans of worms for me. I'm not sure, but I understand you want to you want to you want to give everybody a shot. Um, but I don't I don't know if that would just if that would 
you know, leave too much margin for error. But I feel like the part that we're ignoring, though, with the with the Steelers, too, is that these guys are chasing history. They're in a little bit of a different mindset than everyone else. Like, they don't want any games forfeited. They really are the ones motivated not to have any asterisks this year. I mean, they're going for 16-0 right now at 10-0. and And I feel like, um, you know, that they're also in a different rhythm than everyone else. They don't want anything interrupted. So while it sounds nice, go home, have your Thanksgiving with your family. They're in such a rhythm and a mode right now, and they're playing at such a high level. They haven't even been really – they don't even seem to be playing perfect football on there at 10-0. and 0. I really feel like this is a championship-caliber team, much to Jimmy's dismay. So, you know, they're kind of like the people that are in your, uh, in your fantasy league um, that are doing great, and because they're doing great, you know, they're not going to allow you, like, success, uh, exceptions when you have players out for COVID. They're not going to allow you to replace them because they're having a great season. I feel like that's kind of what the Steelers are like right now. They're in a different rhythm than everyone else, so they think everyone else should kind of be at their level. Trevor, um, I just wanna, you mentioned the Steelers being 10-0. I just wanted to ask, they're 10-0, best record in, in the league, but are the Chiefs, would you say, still the team to beat as champions playing probably the best football besides the Steelers maybe in yeah. the league? They just have a different level of X factor. I mean, just the, you know, Mahomes being able to score, if you give them any amount of time in the fourth quarter, is it just a different level of unbeatableness that – than Roethlisberger right now they're more of a they need to kind of sit on a lead whereas I mean we've seen it with the Chiefs like the fact that they could come back from 20 20 plus points down in a playoff game on a whim just because on the strength of Patrick Mahomes' arm makes them a far more dangerous team even if on paper the Steelers are a little bit more complete in terms of their defense their offensive line even if the infrastructure looks a little bit better for the Steelers just that one guy uh, makes the Chiefs a far more dangerous team come playoff time in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're just watching Patrick Mahomes every week is it's just mind boggling what he can do with the football and just how potent their offense is. And like you said, no lead is really safe with them. Um, and if they if the Steelers and the uh, Chiefs were to face off and the Steelers did have a lead, you would I wouldn't think oh they're the best they have the best record in this, during the regular season. They got this because of how crazy and how quick that the Chiefs can score they can score two touchdowns in a span of five minutes maybe even less if they, if they can get a three and out quicker or a quick turnover um yeah. but well, I also, think, what'd you say well also I just look at who the Steelers have played they yeah. they don't have really Many that points. commanding of That's wins fair. they haven't had a, a win against like a, a Bucks even though they're up and down or or the Chiefs any team like that that you can consider a top team. And I'm not saying that the Steelers aren't a top team. You just need to look at Minka Fitzpatrick this year. I, I swear every single time I see uh, the uh, the Steelers come on on NFL red zone on a Sunday, he has the ball in his hands or he's breaking up the ball from someone else. The the trade that they made last year, I want to say trading, yeah, a first round pick, trading a first round pick to the, the Dolphins when they Roethlisberger was already out at that point. I'm pretty sure. And you could see, Oh, Possibly we get a, a pretty high draft pick here if things go down down the drain with Duck Hodges and uh, uh, Mason Rudolph. That this is a team that likes the fight. They they didn't give up when their season was pretty much thrown out last uh, last year because of their their quarterback going down. And this is a team that wants to fight. And even though I would still pick the Chiefs over them any day because of that that Patrick Mahomes X factor, this defense is gonna come to any match and really give a fight. Yeah. 
I think their X factor, whereas the Chiefs X factor is, is Patrick Mahomes. Theirs is that defensive line. I don't think anyone else has more of a potent combination of pass rushers, guys like TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, all on the Bud Dupree, all on the same unit. And if they could get to Patrick Mahomes, things can get interesting. But as we've seen in college football this year, or really trending in the past few years, as we've seen in the NFL, uh, elite offense kind of seems to be elite defenses now. It doesn't seem like the defenses have quite uh, caught up. We'll catch up with this podcast in a little bit. We're going to take a quick break, play some copyright-free uh, elevator music maybe for a second, and then we're going to come back with some Thanksgiving talk, maybe some college basketball. Wait and see. Welcome back, everybody, to Study Hall. You know, uh, thankful for a – we're all thankful for a nice USC win over Utah last week, you know. And I'm also thankful for you guys, uh, Jordan, Dan. Just leave it right there, Jordan and Dan. Very thankful for you guys. Um, and, you know, with the, with the Thanksgiving season upon us, you know, I think it's time to ask the question, like, what do you guys think are the best Thanksgiving dishes? Um, I, have a, I have some thoughts on Thanksgiving. Me and Jimmy both have some thoughts. We'll, we'll save that for, uh, for later, but – First, we'll start with you, Jordan. What are your top three favorite uh, Thanksgiving dishes? Um, coming in at number three, I'd have to say some good collard greens, if they're if they're made right. Um, number two, I'm gonna have to go with some honey baked ham. Haven't really been a fan of turkey for a while. Once ham came into play, once I realized that honey baked ham was a thing, and once people they dropped ham. Once they huh? dropped ham, it was over. Yeah, once they dropped ham, turkey was turkey was retired, and I'll get it really out of out of a courtesy of whoever made it, not really because I want it. Um, and then number one, I think probably just the unsung hero of every Thanksgiving plate is the mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. If someone can come in and whip up a fire serving of mac and cheese. It'll bolster your entire Thanksgiving meal, your entire day. It's what's going to put you into the food coma after Thanksgiving. You know, if you eat it around 5, that food coma from 6.30 to 8, 8.30 before you eat dessert, it's the mac and cheese that's going to do it for you. So, yeah, collard greens, honey-baked ham, and mac and cheese. That was so wise. That was so well, well said. Daniel? Yeah, uh, from a little bit of experience, I had a, a Friendsgiving with, with the roommates, Lauren and Aaron, and uh, Camilla came over, Julia stopped by and it was, uh, it was really good. We, we made, I was in charge of the Turkey, believe it or not, Daniel's actually a chef these days. And wow. I was told by all four of them, it was by far the most moist Turkey they had ever tasted in their entire life. My Ooh. secret ingredient, believe it or not, was Chick-fil-A sauce. Don't sleep. Um, uh -huh, I see Trevor's face. He's, he's a little intrigued. It worked out. Uh, I'll send you the recipe. Um, what? But uh, hey, guys, <laughs> I don't know what I heard that correctly. <laughs> my little buttered compound that I, I shoved between the uh, the skin and the bird itself, and I put some some Chick Fil A sauce in that. I don't know if that contributed to it being moist or what, but wow, it was it was delicious. I will say, uh, but I can't put mac and cheese in my top three because much like mashed potatoes, which in any other situation I would say is uh, at the top, you can have that anytime. It's not specific, so. For my, my three, I will say stuffing at number three, uh, always delicious, very underutilized the rest of the year. Uh, sweet potato pie, my mind was changed last night. I went over to the, the Schechter household. Uh, shout out to Aaron's mom for making the most bomb sweet potato pie with candied pecans on top of it. Really delicious. And number one, cranberry sauce. Cranberry oh, sauce, I don't, care, 
I don't care if it's in the can. I don't care if it's fresh. It goes well on everything. You can put anything out there on the table. I will throw cranberries on it. It's delicious. Don't say otherwise. I see Trevor and Jimmy both shaking their heads. You guys are wrong. Jordan and I are right. Cranberry sauce, I forgot about that. Really slept on, but I love – I'll eat it by itself all the time. Oh, I will take a spoon. Literally last night, I, I had a can of it. I took a spoon. I had a, I had a little bite. Jimmy, before you go off, just real quick, I feel like when Daniel's cooking all this stuff, he has like a like a like a apron of some sort and like a little hat, and like his apron has like a stupid joke, like I'm with the chef or kiss the chef, <laughs> like that. And I feel like I don't have an apron, cool. but if I did, you're 100 correct. It and would I be a like very on day, brand bad humor joke. And I feel like Daniel's gonna own a boat someday. Anyways, Jimmy, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be, like, pretty uncomfortable. Most people are going to get seasick. Uh, but he will force you to go on it. It's not even going to um, be, like, that big. It's going to be, like, more of a dinghy. But it's going to have, like, a name and, like, a champagne, like, christening. And, like, it might even be, like, just a little remote control. But Daniel will own a boat in some form. And he's going to love it more than his children. It's, he's going to have pictures of it in his office. And every conversation is going to go right back to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> and he will literally not once know how to operate it. No. Um, oh no! I, it will be parked the marina. It will never. It will never leave. And you're definitely gonna have more, a, one. I one last more thing. Of a, I see you more as a uh, parking the driveway kind of guy. You <laughs> no, have the, boat the driveway in the driveway. But He's I do go like on the boat it. while it's on the trailer. Yes. And you have like the little uh, things at the end of the sunglasses. What are those called? So croquis. He's gonna have croquis. All right, Jimmy. Uh, we just heard them go off. Um, I was appalled the whole time, but you, you go first. I mean, certainly there's something to be said for the beautiful shows of Americana that Daniel and Jordan have brought to this podcast. I can't say anything bad about them, you know, truly just uh, supporting this great nation by in, enduring such an evening of revelry and satanic ritual because the food... <laughs> is just not that good i love you know i love me some mashed potatoes i love me some mac and cheese but that's like not what thanksgiving is about it's about turkey which con you know like like really like i like turkey sandwiches like don't get me wrong but who wants to eat a whole bird and then you're left with with you know leftovers for days and there's all this you know bickering and drama and don't even get me into the whole you know implications of the meal where you have family over and everyone hates each other and stuff like that and, you know grandma and the cousins they're all going crazy about something or others whatever is going on the meal itself is just not that good and i can understand you know maybe for some of you some of you it's like a, oh you know we have to eat it once a year and it's like well you know it's not good you know like it's for me thanksgiving is a great day to watch football great day to hang out with the family great day for me i went out you know with, with some friends in a covid safe manner and kicked ass in our turkey bowl game i played a little quarterback a little uh you know three technique tight end played actually some uh some d tackle forced an interception threw a touchdown and uh and uh caught and ran my way in for a for a score but we're focusing on the food right not my beautiful athletic accomplishments the food the food the food is terrible and I know that Trevor agrees with me on this. I know that you guys couldn't be shaken from your ways, and that's okay. Someday we'll get you out of this hole with therapy and, you know, just good-hearted friendship and actual good food. But we'll find a way for you guys to understand that it's just an overrated holiday from a food standpoint. 
Yeah. What part of it don't you like? The oh, I'm so glad you asked that. It just came up perfectly. First of all, going back to Jimmy, Jimmy's Turkey Bowl was originally scheduled for Sunday. They had to reschedule it, league protocols. They had to all get back in the bubble and retest. And <laughs> it was a whole mess. It was originally scheduled for Sunday, though, and then it became a Turkey Bowl on accident. Just wanted to point that out there. Why? What, it, what do I hate about the Thanksgiving meal? Well, let's start with the turkey. It's so dry that Daniel had to pull out Chick-fil-A sauce from his third drawer in his house that he randomly decided to keep there. He didn't, no reason to keep it there. So he pulled it out of there, this stale, gross Chick-fil-A sauce, put it on his turkey just to make it somewhat moist. Not a meat that anyone likes. I don't even like it on a sandwich. Then you have cranberry sauce. Fruit doesn't go with anything there, but you just douse on the cranberry sauce. And then you have stuffing, which looks like tree debris i would never eat it i don't even know <laughs> what it, is like. it looks like a bunch of droppings from from a from an oak tree it, it's it's strange it's bizarre i don't like the way it smells it makes me uncomfortable and what you know what you guys what, why does everyone if it's so good then why don't you eat it every day why do people only eat it once a year it's terrible it's terrible and, th and that's trevor, my I, trevor i believe the professional term for it is mulch <laughs> it looks like mulch. It looks like mulch. Cranberry sauce. You said cranberry sauce is your favorite part. I mean, you can't just add fruit to like weird meat and debris. But it's like you're eating. <laughs> it's like you're adding candy to it, and like I, I realize that adding. Yeah, candy you gotta to add candy to it because it's it's it's, it's mulch, bro. <sighs> I, I can't get behind the, the Chick-fil-A. I don't even like Chick-fil-A sauce. I'm more of a Polynesian sauce my, myself when it comes oh, yeah. to Chick-fil-A. I like Chick-fil-A yeah. sauce. I just I just think if you have to do go to those measures, then it's okay, wait, wait. I gotta I gotta clarify something with the Chick-fil-A sauce. It, yes. We weren't dipping into Chick-fil-A sauce. And it was <laughs> it's not from a uh, it was like in in the in the butter mixture that I put to uh to make the, the bird good. Uh, it was also it not from a packet. Roll. No, 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 no. It's actually in the refrigerator. I have a Chick-fil-A squirt bottle. I did not buy it myself. A friend got it for me as a gift. And believe it or not, it comes in handy a lot more often than you would care to admit. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you have, I'm just saying, if you have to go to all those hoops just to make turkey edible, where you got to whip out the, the old Truett Kathy special just to make it somewhat edible, I'm not a fan of it. Turkey's dry. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Turkey in general. What, uh, what else? Collard greens. Yeah, those are fine. The Mac and cheese, the Mac and cheese is the best part, but that's an everyday type of food. No, but like it, mac, and cheese. mac and cheese, the way it's made, I think is people really put their foot into it. That's, yeah. I'll agree with Jordan. Mac and cheese on Thanksgiving <laughs> is not your, your everyday Mac and cheese. Yeah. They you don't put you their don't want feet in the mac and cheese. <laughs> you, you don't, <laughs> you don't want anyone just coming like, there is a mac and cheese specialist. Just how there are return specialists in, in football, three-point specialists in basketball. There is a mac and cheese. There is someone you want who you know this person. Mac and their feet yeah. six feet deep in that mac and cheese. Yes, <laughs> they really put their foot into it. They have to. I don't think I've ever heard, at least outside right. of the soccer context, the use of the phrase put their feet into it. Which is really interesting. I'm wondering if this is like, you know, like the uh, the the feet smashed like wine, you know what I mean? Where they smash the grapes with their feet and then the lady falls out of it, that like super old internet video. Um, <laughs> That's the original I, meme. The original meme, indeed. Uh, I, I have just so many questions. I, I mean, we could go off on an entire separate I've got to put my foot down. 
I'm going to put my foot down yeah. and move on from Thanksgiving. Let's go on. Let's, let's finish wrap up real quickly with some USC basketball talk. They beat uh, Cal Baptist who Jordan, you mentioned, right? When did they become a, when did they become a program? They, they became a D one program in 2018. And how did the game go, Jimmy? I, I, I didn't see any of it. Like I was telling them, I was in Atlanta. We didn't, we don't get USC versus Cal Baptist at 9 30 PM on Fox sports South. We just don't have it for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. So it went really poorly. Um, it was funny because coming into the game, uh, my dad and I were talking about the spread and it was 18 points. And I was just very, very sure that never in my lifetime will we cover 18 point spread against an elite program like Cal Baptist. We just can't beat the elite teams like that. Uh, but, you know, all jokes aside, this is the consummate USC comes in and just constantly underwhelms to their credit, you know, or in their defense, rather. Um they are dealing with pretty much an entirely new team. I was constantly referring to the online program, trying to figure out who, these, who half the players were. Um, a lot of turnover. It's like we're going to be, you know, unlike last year or at least in seasons past where we could, you know, rely a good amount on, uh, you know, veteran transfers like Daniel Yutomi last season. Uh, it's going to at least take some time for some of those guys to gel. And in the meantime, we're going to have to be, you know, relying on, well, in, in some parts, the number one overall recruit in the nation, which isn't too bad in Evan Mobley, but other guys who didn't exactly totally hit their stride last year, and Isaiah Mobley and um, uh, Jordan Anderson. Um, oh, Ethan, as, sorry, Anderson. Ethan Anderson. Ethan Anderson, sorry. I, I confused him and Jordan Usher. Ethan Anderson. Uh, as a result, you know, it, it's really impossible to tell what's going to happen this season. Uh, but if if any indication of a overtime win against Cal Baptist uh, is to be, then it's not going to be a great year to remember for USC basketball. I, I will say, uh, I think that the team is getting a lot of unnecessary hate. Uh, as, as always, if you look at the USC Twitter sphere, there's not a lot of love going around. It's mostly, mostly hate. And I think it's unwarranted. It's the first game of a season. I realize it's the first game for those guys as well but there's always going to be rust. Uh, I think the team started to come alive late. And uh, when Cal Baptist has a team of Kyle Corvers who all are shooting lights out from three and you get 30 points off of threes in the first half. And some people might want to argue and say, well, your three point defense isn't good enough. When you're hitting 10 points or 10 threes in a, in a half in college basketball, that's, that's lucky. And it's not sustainable. I think USC just got a tough matchup. Uh, the, the announcers were saying throughout the game, that USC normally isn't used to uh, getting this type of length in a, uh, a tune-up game. I think uh, those are what these are called. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of things to look forward to. Is this team possibly even going to, if they make the tournament, win a game? No, I don't, I don't think so. But there are a lot of good things to look forward to. Uh, Evan Mobley is a monster. He is going to be drafted uh, higher than Okongwu was this past year. Uh, he's not the same type of player at center, but boy, can he do a lot. Uh, is his offensive game is completely different. His defensive game is completely different. And in both ways, I think he, uh, maybe not so much on the defense, but definitely offensively has a step up on Okongwu. And defense, really late in the game, he started getting those blocks and uh, taking out of control. And uh, another one of those, you had, like you told me last year, I really like Taj uh, Eddie, Edie, I'm not exactly sure, uh, sure how to pronounce his name, uh, but he is another grad transfer. I think he was second or third on the team with points. 
and he was shooting lights out. He's definitely a, a much needed guard addition because we are thin at guard. Ethan Anderson did not have a great game. And if this team wants to go anywhere, he needs to step it up. Jordan? I was just going to say, I was going to say, besides, obviously, Evan is amazing. He's a, he's a guy that I kind of been following for the past uh, year, I would say, since he was at, um, at since he was in, in high school, his senior year. And he's going to, he's going to do what he's going to do every game. He's going to be 20 and 10 a night few blocks, a um, few alley-oops. But I think it's going to have to be the, those role players. Ethan Anderson in his second year is going to have to come. I think he was I, – I, take me from, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was named a captain. Um, he's going to have to come in and play really well at that point guard position, um, penetrate, because they're going to need guys to come and open up the floor with shooting. And I just – I need – I think they're going to need a lot more penetration going forward and a lot more guys who can create their own shot. Um, Isaiah Mobley, Evan's older brother, I think also needs to come into it. He was, he's a McDonald's All-American um, in that same class as – in the same recruiting class as Onyeka. And I think he needs to also be able to contribute on offense every night, 12 to 15 points a game. Uh, like I said, high, high recruit, McDonald's All-American. So he needs to come into his own, play like, play like the high um, – the five-star that he is. And it'll be tough. There will be some games where – you wonder what's going on. What team is this? This isn't the Enfield team that we've seen the past few years. But I do agree with Dan a little bit that it's going to take some time. Like it, it was, like we said, it was their first game. Um, but these next few games up until uh, Pac-12 play, I think, are, are going to be crucial to their, to their development. And I'm looking forward to it, but could be a long season at the same time. But the Pac-12 is in flux, so we don't really know who's who's legit and who's not UCLA took them three overtimes to beat Pepperdine uh earlier today so looks like the only legit team that I've that I've seen personally so far has been Arizona State and they're just they just have experience mixed with good freshman talent as well yeah Bobby Hurley squad definitely looking good um lots coming back not a lot coming back for USC Uh, like you guys said lots of turnover there no longer have Jonah Matthews Nick Rakosevich and you know we started off talking about Beta Wine Wednesdays and my lack of success. Another guy who never missed a Wine Wednesday, Nick Rakosevich, sorely missed um, at USC. All right. Uh, thank you, guys. Jordan, Jimmy, uh, Daniel, our sponsors over at stamps.com. I don't know. I'm going to, like, will that into existence. I feel like they sponsor, like, every podcast, don't they? Stamps? If you have a podcast, I feel like stamps.com or, like, Audible. or like, like Audible Dollar- is definitely the one. Dollar Shave Club you always hear about. Like, I don't know. I feel like, uh, anyways, thanks to those guys. If you're out there listening to our podcast, that'd be so cool. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks, uh, Jordan, uh, Jimmy. We'll see see you guys next week.